Hello, and welcome to Sherlock, from Adler to Amberley. An attempt to analyse all 56 of the Sherlock Holmes short stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. In order. Starting with the first story, A Scandal in Bohemia, featuring the celebrated adventuress Irene Adler, and finishing with the final story of the casebook of Sherlock Holmes, The Retired Cullerman, where Holmes and Watson accept the case from Mr Josiah Amberley. Hence, from Adler to Amberley. My name is Carl Kopak, and I'll be presenting this irregular series along with a special guest as we attempt to assess the value of each tale of the canon. A recap of The Adventure of the Naval Treaty by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This is one of the few stories where Watson technically brings the case to Holmes. He's had a letter. Holmes is messing around with chemicals um, and uh, just tells Watson to read the, the letter he's had. And it's from Percy Phelps, who um, Watson was at school with. He's a very well-connected man. He works in the Foreign Office. He's related to Lord Holdhurst. and he's his nephew. Um, and... Uh, he tells of a, well, basically he's got brain fever, something disastrous has happened and we should, and can you bring Mr Holmes to go and see uh, him? Which he does. Um, he go, they go down to Bribery in Woking where Phelps lives with his uh, fiance Annie Harrison. Um, another Annie. It's another Annie story. Uh, and they first in, they first met by uh, Joseph Harrison, who is Annie's brother and almost by consequence son-in-law, to, brother-in-law to Percy. Percy's not very well. He's got brain fever, the wonderfully euphemistic brain fever, and he's lying on his bed and being nursed by uh, by Annie. Holmes was particularly interested in Annie because the letter was dictated, um, and Holmes uh, announces immediately that she's a remarkably strong woman, and um, he wants to get to know a bit more about it, etc. But actually, she's it's the the story sort of supersedes that. So Phelps was in his of his office on in the Foreign Office on uh, on Whitehall. Uh, he works on a long thin corridor with a commissioner's hut at the end of it. Um, no other doors. Very difficult to get to. And one day he's called in by his uncle to discuss a treaty. Um, this is all very hush hush. There is no one in the room. There is no one. They're in the middle of the room and they're talking quietly. He tells Phelps that he wants to work on a document. This treaty. Which, take, which will take a while. It's incredibly secret because if that fell into the wrong hands, then, um, well, it's not good. Let's just say that. He goes back to his, uh, to, to his, to his office and uh, rem- remembering his uncle's words that he should work on it alone. So once everyone's gone home, he sends a colleague home and a cleaner home as well. He uh, begins work on the document and it's very long and he's got to translate it into French for reasons passing my understanding. He's very tired, Phelps. He's very, very tired. And he thinks, I know what I need. I need some coffee. Now, the commissioner down, down the uh, the other end of the corridor, uh, he makes coffee every now and then. So he goes down there and says, any chance for some, some coffee? Says, yeah, of course I can, blah, blah, blah. It's quite an old man, bit of an old duffer. And he goes back and starts working again. After a while, he realises that he still hasn't had his coffee. So he goes down there and he finds the man asleep with the kettle boiling next to him. 
Um, they talk about this very briefly. He's not, he's not annoyed Phelps, but he's like, you know, I just want to stay awake. So he's, he's not having a go at the commissioner or anything like that. And then the bell rings. Now, the commissioner knows what this, straight, what this means straight away, but Phelps doesn't. He tells... Um, what it means is basically someone's in his office and that's where the treaty is and he shouldn't be there. They go back to the office and, of course, no one there, no treaty. Um, whoever's come in and gone into the office is coming through a side entrance, otherwise Phelps would have seen them on the stairs as with the commissioner and there's nowhere to hide in the office. It also been raining, but there's no footprints about. Um, so he immediately suspects the commissioner's wife um, who has had been in the building earlier but had hurried out. They go into the street and the commissioner is obviously concerned about his wife, but he's saying, this is a false trail, honestly, don't do this. But they do, they call a policeman and they follow her back to Brixton. It's Brixton again. Um, and of course there's no treaty on her and um, she says she, she, she's quite sort of aloof at first or scared because she thinks they're the, the creditors um, and all seems lost, so Phelps decides to write to Holmes. Holmes, of course, is all over this. They go down to Briarbury and they meet... Um, well, firstly, they meet Joseph Harrison, who is the rosy-cheeked brother-in-law, who seems very cocky, and Holmes, <laughs> Holmes dislikes him immediately, which was very, very good. I really like that scene. And um, and they meet Annie, and uh, who basically tells him, you know, what, what they, they share what the story and what have you, and they ask some questions, etc. Obviously, Holmes learns about the house and, you know, and where they've been sleeping, what sort of room, that sort of thing. Um, they go back to London. Holmes makes several inquiries. He goes to see Lord Holhurst and tries to work out if he's been a bit dodgy about this. They work out if Phelps has been quite dodgy about this, um, but they dismiss them straight away. Holhurst, of course, reiterates the fact that the treaty is so important. He also notes the fact that no one's done anything about it and they'd know about it if that had been sold and gone into the wrong hands. They would know about it immediately and nothing's been done. Um, that gives Holmes pause for thought. So he goes back to Woking um, just to tell him that nothing's happened. Um, but something's happened at Bribery. There's been a burglary in the night uh, into the room where Phelps sleeps. Phelps was awake uh, that time and I saw someone at the window but couldn't tell who it was. Um, and the, the, uh, the burglar ran away. Significantly, this is the first night that, Hel that Phelps wasn't there without the nurse, so I assume he means Annie, but uh, that's what he says. Holmes at this point has got an inkling. He knows what's going on. So he tells Annie to stay in, a, in the room all day, but then leave her in the night and, and lock the door from the outside, which she does. Holmes stays in the house, unbeknownst to, um, uh, uh, well, you imagine the burglar, um, Watson, so, and Watson and Phelps go back to London. So at two o'clock in the morning, the burglar appears, and it's no other personage than Joseph Harrison himself, who had hidden the treaty when he got back to Briary under a hatch right under his bed. So poor Phelps is going nuts, and the, and the treaty's in the room next to him. They have a fight, and it's the, it's the first fight I think I've seen Holmes happen. He's got one coming up, I think, in um, in the solitary cyclist. But they have a fight now, Sherlock doesn't mind a bit of drama. So he goes back to London and he tells Phelps that he can't, that, um, you know, he, he hasn't really uh, done, done much good on the whole case. And then they call for breakfast, which arrives on silver salvers and dishes. And when Phelps lifts one up, dun, 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 there's the treaty. Turns out that Joseph had, was, had a stock market debt that he needed to pay and he was quite prepared to sacrifice his brother-in-law to be his career to pay it. That is the adventure of the Naval Treaty.
Joining us to discuss the adventure of the Naval Treaty is Bonnie McBird. You may remember Bonnie joined us for the uh, the talk about the Speckle Band in our first season, as it were, if you can call it a season, the first collection of stories. Um, she is the original writer of the film Tron and has Sherlock Holmes novels called Art in the Blood, which came out in 2015, Unquiet Spirits a couple of years later, The Devil's Jew in 2019, and The Three Locks, and it's great to have her back on. Bonnie, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you back again. Um, you came on originally to talk about the Speckle Band, and now you've got the Naval Treaty. The idea when we started this show was to give someone a beautiful story and then one of the more average ones in Casebook. But for some reason, you've got two of the big ones, and it's not fair, because poor John got Case of Identity. And... Um... <laughs> But we like you, so you're okay. So we've got the naval treaty. How have you been, anyway? We've not spoke for a while. Oh, I, I've been pretty good, thank you. All, all things considered, it's been the, you know, and unfortunately for us, it's still the pandemic is still going on because uh, my husband has been ill, so I I have to treat it as though you know I still can't dare to bring COVID into the house. Yeah. So yeah. therefore, I'm kind of on lockdown, and when I go out, I wear a mask, and I'm the only one. Yeah, <laughs> where- yeah. People look at me like, what, are you going to rob us or what? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's getting long, but uh, but I'm, I'm still very lucky because I have lots to amuse me here. Well, speaking about that, um, we said on the last show that um, you live just around the corner from Baker Street. Um, has Baker Street been quiet? The reason I asked that is because I've, I've just been reading The Empty House where, of course, it goes deathly quiet just before the fatal shot. That isn't fatal. <laughs> um, and I've done that. I, was thinking, I don't think I've ever seen Baker Street quiet ever. No, but it, it's not, I mean, um, it varies quite a bit, you know. Uh, right now, with all the tube strikes and so forth, there's a lot more traffic. Yeah. So uh, it gets kind of crazy when the strikes are going on. But it varies. It, um, <laughs> at football time. <laughs> the, well, yeah. yeah. Low, That's where people go. Uh, and it's a, a sports It's a sports pub, and so they gather there the and, and sing for hours. Yeah, that must be great. It's a little well, very, very cultural. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, do, do you get actually many um, um, Sherlock tours around there? Is there a is there a Sherlock tour guide? There's probably hundreds of them. I don't know. Oh, yeah. None at all. Um, well, uh, the best person to give wonderful walking tours is Richard Burnett. And he works for London Walks, but he also does some independent ones. And he's done several for the Sherlock Holmes Society of London. And he's so knowledgeable about that era and Sherlock Holmes and everything. So he he gives wonderful ones. And then, of course, every now and then we're lucky enough to have uh, Roger Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, who gave he gave an informal uh little tour to David Markham and me a few years back um, of, of the empty house, the run up to the empty house. And so, you know, uh, then, of course, the Sherlock Holmes Museum is just right yep. up the street. Um, controversial museum. <laughs> yeah. uh, and um, and there's lots of, I mean, souvenir shops everywhere. But um, not okay, a, there's not a whole lot of Holmes activity here. But, uh, you know, every now and then there will be something. I know I go to, um, um, speaking of football, I've been to Wembley a few times this year. and. Um, me and my friends go to the back of Houston Station, so we know where the BBC Sherlock is near Speedy's Cafe. That's oh, yeah. always that's always quite busy around there every time. And I, I work well before I moved house. I, I, I worked quite close to that place. You know, that's um, funny. I love Speedy's. It's actually a great place. I've never to been in. 
can't. I've only tried to get in twice. No chance. Queue well, outside. I, I used to eat there quite often before the pandemic because um, I was doing some research uh, across the street at the Welcome Library. Yeah. yeah. Fact, the, first, the first day I was at the Welcome, uh, working on research for my first book, uh, Art in the Blood. I um, <laughs> I said, well, I I called up some books, and they said, well, we just missed the call, so it'll be in the next one. It'll be about 45 minutes, so you should go eat. And I said, well, where, where's a good place around here? And they said, oh, Speedy's right in there. It's like, oh. <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> I'm sure I've heard of that somewhere. Yeah, I have heard. So I went down there, and the food is excellent, and they're very nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to go in. I'm going to have to try and book it. It's the same with, um, what's the crazed one in Bethnal Green? Police shoes or something. With the big gold thing at the front, you can't. I know I've, I've tried to get in there and you can't do it. It's right. It's uh, where the, police, it's, police shows, isn't it? Police show, something like police that. Show. Yeah, it's it's where yeah. um it's where the crazy used to have meetings. So basically, I imagine they probably owned it at some point or something. I don't know. Um, I have a last time we we were on, we discussed writing. Um, you are an award-winning writer. I'm a writer. Two very very different things. Um, so I I like I love to ask writers this question: What's your daily routine? It's a writing week for Bonnie McBird. Are you at 2,000 words a day and that's your lot or feast and famine? Um, well, I'm a, I write first thing in the day at just after coffee. I get up, I get coffee, and then I write. And that's just every day. Basically, it's seven days a week. And what I don't, I sometimes work to word count during parts of my writing. During the draft, mm -hmm. I work to word count. Um, my first book I did as a NaNoWriMo, and it was like 1,667 you're supposed to do every day to make yeah, yeah. 1,030 days, which I did. But um, it's different now. And so um, it will depend. It will depend on how it's going and how much research I'm also doing at the same time. So uh, I'm working on book six right now. I just finished book okay. five. And um, I'm... I'm trying something a little bit different. I'm I'm a pantser, <laughs> so I I just start writing, and you know I have an idea of a theme, and I have an idea of the big crime. There's usually more than one crime, but I have the yep. big one in mind, and I know who did it. What I don't know is exactly how they did it, and exactly how Holmes figures that out. Yeah. But then I start to map that out, and then I also know that I need a big action scene at a certain place structurally in the yeah. book. And so I start with those, and then I um, just pants it the rest of the way. This uh, on book six, I'm trying something a little different, and I'm not sure I like it yet. <laughs> but I'm I'm uh, outlining on cards, but still using Scrivener. Okay. And I'm probably telling you much more <laughs> that you wanted to hear, but. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm fascinated. My, my my ideal is, and it never works this way at all. Uh, so I'm I'm writing the follow up to my first novel, and. Um, I'm trying to do 2,000 words a day, regardless of quality, just to get it on the page. Mm -hmm. And then I, I tend to write and then edit a story into it rather than the other way around. I cut it down and think, hang on, that's an interesting conversation. I could build on that and then tend to rewrite it that way. So I really am just sort of splurging onto the page as much as I possibly can. Um, so much so that I, I, in the, the first book I did, I lost an entire character come the end which was about a third of the novel. I, I, told, I thought, I don't need him, he's gone. He's not interested anymore, this person is instead. Yeah, that that was my method for my first two. Um, and I've, I'm, I've been moving 
I've been moving to toward a kind of hybrid method. It's still, I still like to pants like that, just basically blurt onto the page, but uh, with a little bit more structure beforehand. And what I tend to do is do what you suggested, which is just <laughs> and then yeah, yeah. and then um, and then usually I'll be going along and I'll suddenly realize, oh, I have to have met him before, or I need to know that that's his father, and I need to know that by this time. Or also I'll kind of map out who I want the reader to think, or what I want the reader to think. Like I want them to, I want you to suspect this guy here. Yeah. So I'm, I kind of map that uh, reader expectation map <laughs> uh, out, and so I'll be kind of simultaneously weaving these things, and then just jumping into, you know, pantsing <laughs> again, and and because when the characters talk to each other, like, I often don't know what they're going to say. I have no idea. They just start talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's um something I've, I I um I can't remember who, when I read this, but it was years ago. Um, I think this might have been a friend of mine who who basically said, you know, when you're in the middle of the book, when the characters talk without you, <laughs> it's, you're, you're, it's, it's just going. It's, I know that sounds incredibly arty and what have you, but they just go <laughs> through. And... It, it, they just do. I think that's that's kind of a, a lot of writers feel that way. I don't think it's. Yeah. Too- it's just a process that happens and you know it's our subconscious or whatever working for us but I don't know I mine sometimes walk into the room and I don't know what they're going to say like I don't know <laughs> there <laughs> who are you <laughs> you know or, or I'll or a scene will be going on that I've kind of planned and then I'll realize it's like sagging the scene is sagging yeah 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 I feel it and it's like something has to happen and uh and then it does. And, you know, sometimes I plan that and sometimes I don't plan it and it just happens, you know. Oh, in one of my books, a brick comes through the window. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that would that would certainly <laughs> redirect the interest somewhat. Yeah, and it was like, well, uh, but then, of course, my subconscious threw that brick, obviously. And so there was a reason and it did connect, but I had to, like, kind of work around back to yeah, it. Yeah. And, you know, so, but... It, <laughs> But it's it's kind of fun uh, to be a little less overtly planned, I think, when mm. we're, it stays fresher, I think. But it's, yeah. everybody has their own their own process. So. Yeah, and I know Evan Welsh does an entire story, and then he, then he does an entire page of italics for the B-plus story. Sorry, we're, we're getting very inside baseball here. Who does this? Evan Welsh, he does a thing where he basically writes it, and then he writes a, a, a different voice in italics completely. Mm-hmm. As if to say, so he's basically writing two stories at the same time, and I imagine at some point he thought better join them together at some point if they're going to. Right. Um, so I'm not entirely sure he is. Um, before we lose any more listeners with me just hectoring you about writing so I can become a better writer, which is always my plan, um, we should move on to the Naval Treaty. We always ask two questions on the show. The first one is, How did you come across Sherlock? We've done that on, on already on the Speckle Band. Um, I know the answer to this question, Bonnie. Did you enjoy the Naval Treaty? <laughs> yes, you do know because I love the Naval Treaty. It's one of my favourite stories. John, can you check when uh, where this fits in Sir Arthur's top twelve? I think it's top five, um, but um, it's fantastic. It's yeah. got. We, I, we, we've been swapping emails for a while about this, and I think it's got everything in it from Holmes <laughs> in a good mood to a chemistry murder, and that's before you've done anything at all. It's got, I think, probably the most interesting female character. I, I genuinely think, you know, she's up there with Irene Adler. Um, and, um, oh, treaties, treachery, 
Um, and you, you wrote a paper about this in 2015, and I, I read it this morning, and I just nodded all the way through it. You don't particularly like Percy Phelps, do you? Oh, oh he's obnoxious. <laughs> no, he's, he's such a weakling. He's like, oh. He really is. He's, a, he's so, you love to hate him. I mean, he's so whiny, you know? Yeah. And, and he's so privileged and so whiny, and you just think, oh, my God. And you can see why Watson would have – Watson, who's not a mean person at all, you can see why even Watson would be tempted to tease the guy as a kid. <laughs> yeah, Chevy in with a cricket stump. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Watson, I, he's I, not I, a I, natural I, teaser, really. You know, he's, he's a kind person, generally. He really is. Sorry, John. I've got the placements here in uh, Sir Arthur's top 19. And it's actually lower than you think. It it is number nineteen. What? Tell me what's number eighteen, it, and I'm going to get angry. It what it wasn't. So it wasn't in his original top twelve list. That is insane. Um, it was in the 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 second list he added yeah. um, several years later, and it was number seven. It was the bottom of that second list that he came up with. Okay. What's number six? Just so I can get angry and. Uh, the resident patient. I like the resident patient, but come on, come on. There's also a, a lovely little thing in the beginning of the story. Um, I'm a, I'm a person who basically doesn't really have not, I've never really looked into Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And if you were to sort of question me on what years things came out, um, I, I, I only found out recently about just how big the the great hiatus was. It's three years, but it's ten years for us living in the real universe. Um, he mentions the second stain, and then eleven years later he writes it. Oh, absolute applause for that! He just but loved the apparently, title. Apparently, there's two second stains, according to uh, yeah to um, to Les Klinger in in his notes. But um, yeah, it's, the second stain is actually I usually that I usually name that as my favorite story. <laughs> yeah, and guess who we've got coming in to discuss the second stain, John? In a few months' time, it's Bonnie McBird. Um, yeah, I, I love the fact that I've always liked the references to other stories, the train comrades and the lighthouse and um, Wilson, the the canary train. <laughs> I love all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but um, he's done it before in this. He mentions the case of the case of identity, but he does that afterwards. But he goes back and mentions it again and occasionally refer to Scandal and Bohemia. But I think the second stain is the foot is the only one where he actually as if to give the impression that Watson has already written it. I mean, he clearly hasn't because he hasn't done it yet because it would have been out by now. But um, I, I just think that that's such a, a lovely issue. There's something else I love about this as well. Um, I should warn read the listeners here, by the way, that we are going to be talking about a rose for quite some time in this story as well. I love the rose speech. Um, I found that in terms of the 12 stories, is it 12 or 13, this one, I can't remember, of, um, of memoirs, he... I know that they're all serialized, so they're not really built in sort of chapter order or anything like that. But they're quite low key. Was Grave Ritual, Gloria Scott, lots of armchair stories. And then in the last few, Greek Interpreter, Naval Treaty, and then the big two. Do you think that's deliberate? Do you think he really sort of pushes up the action? Because this is quite an action story. There's an actual fight in it for a start. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I never thought, you know. I don't really think of them so much in the order that he wrote them. Um, I don't think he would have done either, to be honest, but it just struck me as sort of dramatically, it's interesting. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't really have any conjecture about that. I think because I think writers kind of write what their mood is you know, yeah. on the spot or or um, you know sometimes I think I think uh, my impression is that Conan Doyle was responsive to um, fans to his fans yes what uh, and it's really hard for writers not to hear some feedback from people and and my sense is that he was somewhat responsive and you know I, I don't know maybe um, you know uh, I had to <laughs> I had to give a talk on my one of my least favorite uh, stories, uh, uh, which was the um, um, <laughs> <I'm> forgetting <laughs> the uh, uh, the Mazarin Stone. Yes, there we go. <laughs> Sorry, I think we could have filled in for you there. To be honest, <laughs> the Mazarin Stone, and um, yeah, and so that repeated a whole bunch of stuff that he'd already done, and so. Yeah. They were asking, like, why would he do that? So it's a similar question to yours right now. Why would, you know, why would he suddenly write the Naval Treaty with a whole lot of action after some kind of, like you said, armchair stories? I don't know. I Sometimes I, I have a feeling maybe he was asked, you know, by, by the publisher, whatever. Um, my theory about the Mazarin Stone was that uh, he was rebooting the franchise for the new generation of readers. Yeah. And that's why he repeated so much stuff and also kind of was introducing things all over again, kind of. Um, and But also was throwing in some pr just slightly pre-jazz age stuff, you know, like neon and things to kind of make it seem hip and happening right then. Yeah. That was my theory about that one. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I um, you know, Conan Doyle was obviously an extrovert as a, as a person. So it, it would make sense that he would be responsive to some requests or that sort of thing. But well, he, he wrote it, um, uh, the three Garatebs, three times pretty much, didn't he? With the Red-Headed League and the Stockbroker's Clerk, it's the same plot. It's exactly the same Very plot. similar, yeah, similar. And how do we get someone out there? By an elaborate ruse, which doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, let's go back to the Naval Treaty, because there's a lot of it. It's the longest story. It yes. has a diagram in it. <laughs> which really shocked me when I first read it. Ooh, yeah, ooh, yeah. drawings. Yeah. Which I really like. Um, so we don't we don't go through the story sort of scene by scene as such. But Percy Phelps, I like his letter because he is feeble, which I quite like about it. I like the fact that he asked for Holmes twice. Yeah, he's begging really. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and to say that man like you know that he's working for Lord Holdhurst or whatever, and you know he's related yeah. to him and. He's got this magnificent job and he's about to be engaged. He's 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 not a man I'd want in a pub fight next to me. He's, <laughs> <laughs> he's sort well, of a pathetic fellow and uh, very needy in this letter. And and I think it's to Watson's credit that he, even though he saw him as kind of a wimp, even as a student, um, yeah. that he he's kind enough to say, OK, here's a man that I know and his is in dire trouble and maybe 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 my friend can help him so he's quite kind about it generous I'd say uh, so, so, so explain his marriage to Annie Harrison who is completely that the opposite not explain at all because <laughs> she's a powerhouse and he's such a wimp I, I don't know unless she's you know the kind of woman that just loves to take care of someone uh, you know her husband is almost like a child to her I, I don't know it's it's really that in my essay I put that too I, I really don't understand that that <laughs> That attraction but she certainly is called to be her best self so yeah. that, that does it for some people you know the the sort of this clarion call to you know rise to the occasion of of taking care of you know some people uh, some people relish that that role 
Yeah, she's, she's another Annie, but this this is an Annie who gets. Uh, I think I think we maybe three of our last four stories got Annie's in them, but this one actually appears and has lines. She glowers and she reacts. So she, she's actually, even though she doesn't say a lot in this story, she definitely has a forceful personality. And I also think that Holmes, although they butt heads a little bit, I think he instantly recognizes her strength. And so when he asks her to do a ridiculous, really weird thing and sit in that yeah. room and not leave no matter what, he yeah. knows that she's going to pull that off. He knows yeah. that he's asking a person who can handle this and also who will instantly get how important it is. So, I mean, even though they don't seem to kind of get along, I think he recognizes a strong, intelligent person. I think he quite likes that. That, that, that was my initial reading of it. Um, yeah. When he says, go back to London and check your facts. Not, oh my God, Mr. Holmes, you're the famous Mr. Holmes. It's so great that you're Mr. Holmes around me being Mr. Holmes. It's like, right, okay, well, he needs this. Go and sort it out now. Um, I, I think that's a really, really interesting character development. Um, and the actual crime itself, we're coming to a big question here. Um, <laughs> it's one of those stories, I think, I think I worked out who the villain was just because I thought we must have met them. It's not going to be Wilson, the, the notorious canary train or anything like that. It had to be someone we've already met. And the big clue, obviously, well, I think the big clue is that he says, I wanted to meet Joseph on the train from Waterloo to Woking. Um, um, and the fact that um, Holmes doesn't like Joseph whatsoever. The big question is really Holmes doesn't it, like what? Doesn't like Holmes doesn't like him. Holmes doesn't like Harrison straight away. Yeah. He's, he's sort of quite quite curt with him because he's all very jolly and you know. And I, th I think um, Joseph Harrison says something like, "For a second, I thought you'd done something clever." Yeah, which yeah. Isn't, which like, isn't oh, going to endear him that's, much. That's like the yeah. worst thing you can say to Holmes. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, I'm, we're, we're hot on the heels of the Rygate Squire Squires Since puzzle. People say that to him frequently in the can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, well, as as it, I can't remember his name now. Is Alex in um, in the Rygate Squire or the Rygate Puzzle? Um, basically, calls him an idiot the second he meets him. <laughs> so that's there's a bit of, there's a, bit of a, a thing there going on. Um, I don't know why the treaty is written in French. I didn't understand that, but okay, that would take a while. Yeah, but okay. yeah, Les Klinger pointed that out too. Although oh, French was the language of the diplomats at the time. Yeah. Uh, Still, it was a little odd, but it's it's you could sort of get it. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, but, it, it, but obviously, it just needs them to sit there and write something for a great deal of time for the story to work. Right. But, right. Well, here's the big question: We know who the villain is here. Why ring the bell? Yeah. Well, I mean, the theory obviously is that he 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 was you know he goes oh well he's missing so he must have stepped away. Well, I'll ring the bell and see if he. Yeah. Find and then, he sees the and then he sees the thing and then he goes oh and that's awfully quick <laughs> but he then goes oh this is very important oh this is worth something oh and i'm going to take it and run i mean now that that's the theory i guess yeah. and it's it's not terribly logical but it's plausible <laughs> plausible ish and um i think we have to just accept you know that uh that um because he he got there and 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 Percy wasn't there. He doesn't seem like a very patient man. No. <laughs> so he'd be like, "Where the hell is he?" You know, and uh, and then he'd be looking at this thing and you know, come on, where is he? And he ring the bell, or whatever. And then all of a sudden, it's like this is worth a lot of money. I, and, and that's something I really really need. 
Yeah, this is going to be worth a lot of money. He probably didn't even think hard about like how he's going to turn it into money. Like, who's oh, it's, it's absolutely opportunist, isn't it? Because there is no planning whatsoever. It's basically, I'll have that. He's right. even meeting um, Percy on the train right. later on with the paper on him. And he hasn't really thought about that. Because, you know, is his face going to give anything away that? No. And he's, he's ruined this man. If, absolutely, if this goes ahead and, and Holmes doesn't, doesn't find the papers, he's ruined. That's the end of Percy Phelps. So he probably doesn't like the guy in the first place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And don't forget, he's, all, he's, all, he's already got brain fever. The wonderfully <laughs> euphemistic brain fever. <laughs> right, right. Well, actually, he just had a nervous breakdown because he's a yeah. weak person. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of a... Well, I, you think it's, it's very easy to not like Percy, I think. And this poor Annie is surrounded by this duplicitous brother and this very weak uh, fiancé. <laughs> it just seems like this poor woman. And then she, takes it out on Sherlock. Right, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, Watson's already taken. <laughs> that would be a better match. I, 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 I don't understand the, the opportunism of it. Uh, but, you know, there's a document written in French. It's halfway from the table. Does it have top secret treaty <laughs> yeah, exactly, in, yeah. in, the, in the header? Um it's, it's, it's a, you can't have it long to look at it, so the opportunism doesn't make any sense. It's, it, it, it's a long shot, for sure, because you're right, th this man wouldn't speak French. There's no question. No. no. And how insecure is the Foreign Office? You can just wander in off the street, you know, take a document. It's... Well, I, <laughs> I believe that, actually. <laughs> but you think about things in history that have happened like that, I mean, you... You never expect, uh, <laughs> you just don't expect that. And and also, uh, why they, why he would be hand copying it alone at night. Yeah. There's a lot of things that don't make a lot of sense, um, you know, that are just kind of chosen to, to fit, the, fit the story. I think if it were not in French, it would make more sense, though. Yeah, there's also um, uh, the huge MacGuffin of the commissioner and the commissioner's wife. Yes, and, that, um, and never really explain why she's rushing. <laughs> yeah. And, and and that could have easily, they could have easily concocted a reason for her to be rushing. But I mean, like you said, um, Carl, one of the things is you want to you want to set it up like we've already met the villain. So we, yeah. we, there have to be a bunch of people we suspect in order to pull us through this story. So we suspect the wife, we suspect the commissioner himself, we suspect Percy, because uh, he's clearly kind of nuts, <laughs> and um, you know, so we've got several suspects uh, going yeah. on there, as well as the brother who she might have, he might have met or whatever. And so the luxury really And then we have a, a, a guy who comes to to with a knife in the middle of yep. the night, when we don't know who that is yet. So that could be an, yet another person. So it really is, you know, he has thrown up a lot of smoke. To confuse us, which is good, makes the story work. <laughs> I, I, I think that's the best thing about the story. Honestly, he's throwing things all over the place, mm -hmm. and he hasn't. You can tell when he solved it in his own head, and right. it's quite early on that he solved it. I think he literally just meets the brother, works out that he's cheery, and thinks that's that's good enough for me. 
I, I think he, he suspects him. I think he moved up to the top of the list there. I'm not yeah, sure he, pretty much immediately, yeah. he solved it, though. He he has to be very, really, really sure. And that's one of the things I love about him is he will, you know, he's always sifting, you know, like the locks are turning and clicking, but he has to be 100% sure. And so yeah. that's the scientist in him. So, so he, you know, when the break-in thing happens, that's when he actually knows. It's the it's it's another break in. Um, there are elements which he includes another story, including a government ma um, um, employee copying something out, which of course he does in the Bruce Partington plans as well, with uh, with Cadogan West, my favourite story, and um, <laughs> and there's another failed burglary in this one. We've seen that already in the the Rygate Squires as well. So it's interesting what you're saying before about you know he, he does sort of recycle things a bit. And of course, all the Annies, all the Marys, and all the Violets. There are no other names in the canon. Um, it's interesting to me that he uses that device constantly, as if to say there is something wrong here. There's a burglary, and by this point, I think we're pretty sure that most burglaries aren't burglaries in the canon. They're distractions for something else. Right. Um, Holmes himself is a burglar in in Milverton, isn't he? So. Um, which, which and Bruce Martin plans again. He does it then as well. I think it's an interesting plot device he uses there, as if just to sort of it, it is action and it is interest, but it's also pulling the reader away for a minute and saying, "I'm throwing this at you as well now. What's going on? Why are they yeah, trying to get yeah. at Phelps? Which is what you're trying to think there. I think. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, you know. Burglary was, I'm sure, a very common crime at the time. I mean, you know, yeah. there were people breaking in and stealing silver and, you know, the usual stuff. Um, and so in the home stories, you know, it's a, it's like the classic, you know, you don't guess a zebra when it's just a horse. So it's, it's the whole thing. <laughs> it's like, okay, somebody's breaking in to steal something. You know, that would be the more logical, more simple explanation. You know, they're, they're, they're obviously not super wealthy people, but they're very comfortable. And, you know, the description of the place, they probably have some nice things, whatever. So, you know, it could be just burglary. And many times it is burglary. But in a home story, of course, <laughs> that's no. all about that. Everything's outre and a little bit, uh, you know, twisted and, and convoluted. So you're right. I mean, he does use burglary uh, as a cover for lots and lots of things. But then... We are going to come to Watson Watch in a minute. I'm just trying to work out what Watson does in this story. Um, but then comes one of my favourite scenes in the entire canon, and I know it's one of yours too. Holmes has a chat, almost seems bored at this point, and starts talking about the embellishment of nature through a rose. <laughs> absolutely no reason whatsoever other than to make us happy. Right. Rather than to make us go like, what? What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> because it seems entirely out of character because as Watson points out right there on the spot he's not somebody to go noticing nature particularly like he doesn't go for a walk in the woods for pleasure that's nothing yeah. more than that to him so so and he this comes out all through the canon he doesn't care about scenery he doesn't care no. about you know, whatever so, so why does he do this and um I my theory is uh goes against what a number of Sherlockians feel, which is they, they take this as kind of a, a mark of his spirituality, actually, that, you know, God has created these beautiful things um, to elevate us, basically, or something. And that just does not feel like Holmes to me. No. 
<laughs> and I I don't see him as but we you know we all read into poems of course what a little bit of ourselves yeah uh, you know this is a, as somebody famously called him a, a Rorschach test an ink blot so we all see <laughs> what we want to see in him and uh, so to me the man of science and of reason is not that is not does lead with spirituality let me put it that way yeah so I think so my theory is and because I, I happen to be lucky enough to have known several uh, people who are renowned geniuses uh, and who are scientists and to a man there's a I'm thinking of three people to a man and they unfortunately are all men in this particular case um, they they use art in very in various forms in music for two of them uh, to to process and to uh, as a respite so I, my theory is that he's thinking, 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 he's calculating, calculating, and he picks up this rose, and he just takes a breath, and he goes, I need to just step away for a second here. Yeah. And then he just says, oh, this flower, and it's so beautiful, and, you know, it has a purpose, and et cetera. And it's like this uh, friend of ours named Marvin Minsky, who has invented artificial intelligence. He was the father of AI. And he used to, you know, work, you know, had this, you know, incredible brain. And you'd be talking to him and, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden he'd stop and he'd go over to the piano and improvise a fugue. <laughs> Literally improvise a fugue. So he played one line and then he'd bring in the other. And then boom, he's a fugue, a fugue that was never heard before was heard. So this is the kind of thing where I think a, a superior brain needs art in a way as a as a way of, of processing really so this is, that is kind of a crazy theory but but it's my theory that that's what's happening when he does this rose um but there's other ideas too he could <laughs> uh he could also just be um stepping away to observe her a little more clearly yeah because uh, she's a she's a bit of a cipher and he needs to figure out her role in this if any yeah uh, and so that's another reason why he could do that. But what I don't think he's doing is saying is making a religious statement about what. No, no, I, I, I agree with you. I think he just wants to use another part of his brain for a minute. Yeah, Maybe just to give that little bit of rest. I'm just going to look at that. That's amazing. That makes Take me think breath. this. <laughs> and that's all I need to go back and to start cross-examining the brother. Right. I, yeah, just a, just a breath. It's like a little breath, but it's it's funny and interesting and <laughs> and and it's kind of weird. Um, but it does add another dimension to Holmes, and I think that's one of the genius aspects of the creation of this character, is that just when we think we know everything about him, he will surprise us a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, he has these uh, he has these deep wells of um, artistry. Uh, he's funny sometimes, <laughs> and he's he can be tender. He can certainly cares a great deal. Um, he's got a remarkable, impeccable sense of justice. I mean, there's just so many layers to this man, yeah. and that Conan Doyle just very artistically just reveals them in little snippets like this. Because uh, yeah. we aren't expecting the rose thing. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um... Uh, well, I know the BBC Radio 4 adaptation, I'm not sure if it's Bert, uh, his story, but rather than go straight into the story, they lead with just Clive Merrison, who, who plays Sherlock, just reading that bit out. So you get it twice in the Radio 4 version. Mm -hmm. He does it as a sort of, then the he, he does the speech, then he does the opening titles, and then he does it again. 
uh, in context. And you've done things like this before. You mentioned uh, the famous Lighthouses, my boy. Oh, yeah, that's. I love that that moment. Is, is that Rygate Squires? I think he's well. He's come back from the continent, isn't he? No, it's here. It's in this story. Oh, is it the same one? Oh, okay. Oh, god. Oh, yeah, because in in this oh, yeah. story, uh, it's kind of in the middle of the story. They're they're heading back. That's and, right. Sorry, uh, you're right. Yeah, I'll get them. And yeah. and he sees these really ugly buildings, or, or Watson comments on these ugly buildings that they're red brick squat buildings. They're ugly. They're eyesores. And he comments on the ugh, look at those. They're terrible. He goes, no, no, those are those are um the schools those are schools for the poor kids and it's this is they're this is they're going to be leading britain of the future england of the future and they're they're beacons yeah, yeah. And i love them lighthouses my boy i love that yeah and there's you know about the beacon society in the u.s Do you yeah, know yeah. yeah yeah, yeah. So that's the uh, group that raises funds to um to bring sherlock holmes books and and education to schools yeah. so that new kids can can get excited about sherlock holmes and hopefully logical thinking <laughs> Hopefully, I, I just think it's fantastic. I, I love when every now and then he just throws something in. Yeah, um, yeah. and he does it in. Uh, it's not. It's not nowhere near a favorite story. The Noble Bachelor, where mm. at the end of it, when he's having his dinner party with um, our friend Trevor Downey, did, did that show with us, and he started calling um, uh, uh, Robertson Simon's um, wife for ten minutes um, exposition, Hattie. Because all she ever does is go back and talk about the story so we can develop further. And he gives a big speech about how he'd like to see the American and the flag and the Union, the Stars and Stripes and the Union Jack quartered in some way. And he's never referred to ever again. Yeah. He just does like three paragraphs on it and just leaves it on its own on the page as if to say, okay. what do you think of that? And it's the end of the story. Yeah, what do you think of that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's lovely. I guess, you know, I think Conan Doyle did like America, had a, had a great... Oh, he really did, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He, he, knew, he knew more about that than he knew about London. I know that much, as we've discussed many times. <laughs> he, he didn't live in London that off, all that much. He and you can really tell. You know, I, I went to, I don't know, maybe I told you this last time, stop me if I did, but I went um, to uh, uh, Wimpole Street and where where he had an office briefly, yeah. and it happened that they, um, that it was being shown to, to prospective renters because it was, uh, it was empty, <laughs> and it had the, you know, the blue thing, the blue um, medallion, so I just went in and I just walked all around in there and I was like, oh, here's where he sat, oh, cool. <laughs> You didn't see any treaties lying around, did you? No treaties. Writ no. Written in the French language. No old, no old fountain pens. Nothing like. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, uh, I've, 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 I've just been doing some work for for the. We're doing a live event for the um, the final problem and the empty house with with Bert Cools and Leslie Klinger. Right. On the 16th of July, 5 p.m. Um, UK time. Is that BST, John? Did we decide? Leslie said something on Twitter which confused me, which is an um, American time zone, which I don't yeah. understand. I, I think it's BST, yeah. That's um, yeah, BST here, I yeah, okay. I don't understand daylight savings time either. Well, since we're talking about it, can we ask people to sign up to the invitation? Because it's an invitation event. If you sign up, we'll send you an email with a, with a Zoom link so you can all join us. And it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I am going to be petrified. That is going to happen. Um, it's funny you mentioned Wimpole Street because um, I've just discovered that Watson lived in Mortimer Street for a bit as well at the final problem where Holmes climbs over the back wall, nowhere near Baker Street, and it's not, never referred to ever again. So Sir Arthur in London, it's one, I might write an essay about it, you know, it's just fascinating just how little he knows about the place where, where he lives. Um, speaking of Watson, we shall do Watson Watch 
does he do much in this one? I'm trying to think. But he introduces him, I suppose. That that's the big thing. He brings the letter along. Yeah, he brings the case in because he's former friend or not a schoolmate of, of Percy. Um yeah. But then he's just sort of babysitting. He babysits Percy, yeah. He bandages his hand later on. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. He just he basically just chronicles the thing, really. He doesn't you're right, he does not do all that much. No. Um, yeah, he gets Percy out of the room and takes him up to London, out of the way, and, and yeah. then he takes him home doing the actual work, you know. Yeah, but, he, but even then he doesn't know that's happening. You so. know, what's interesting about this story, another thing that's interesting about it is that some people will say, oh, you know, all the Sherlock Holmes stories, they present everything to you so you could figure it out too, and along with Holmes, but that is not the case, and it's no. very clearly not the case here. So, I mean, he, he sends, first of all, he sends a lot of people out to do detectiving for him. You know, the, the police women go out and follow the uh, the commissioner's wife, for example. Yeah. Uh, other people have followed and reported in. He's he's put ads in. He he gets reports in from many sources, and then he also goes off and does research without Watson and just reports the results. So in fact, we don't really see much of the detectiving. The yeah. <laughs> verb we don't see much of that actually going on in the story, and yet it's still extremely satisfying to the reader. Yeah. Uh, that's because uh, Conan Doyle is a masterful storyteller. And he reveals the things in just the right way so that we are surprised and we, we are kind of Watson. We are we are surprised. We we know what we know Holmes. We believe in him. We see bits of it. But we're we're watching the magic show along with with Watson. And yeah. this this one is the most extremely like that of most of, of almost all of the stories. And so, so sometimes, because you know, as you know, I write pastiche, and so sometimes I will get the criticism. Well, you didn't show everything that you know. You didn't give us a chance. It's like, no, no, no. They they don't always do that. No, does not always do that. Um, but the the question is, is what does he do as a storyteller? You know, he gives you just enough. So he we now have a pool of suspects that that he's given us. And and it's confusion, confusing and and a little bit scary. And it, you know we don't get satisfaction on all of them. For example, we never no. really understand why she rushed off by the commissioners. Why was she rushing? Yeah. And um, so we don't get total satisfaction, but we get most satisfaction. And then the end with the you know the big theatrical. Well, that, I was going to come to this. Yeah, it's just because yeah. um, he, um, he's an actor. Holmes as an actor. Yes, uh, yes. He loves the drama. Mm -hmm. um, he clearly has shares your view, Percy Phelps, and wants to. And he, if, if he can give someone a little bit of discomfort <laughs> after showing his own genius, then their discomfort doesn't matter. Well, yeah. As far I, as concerned. He, he got such a good result. I mean, it's not. I don't think he even. There wasn't that much discomfort. It was just, you know. <laughs> well, Phelps is clearly panicked. Well, he's, he's panicked and he. He, he could put him out of his misery the second he shows up, couldn't it? Quite yeah. similar. Just, and just, uh, yeah, it's just like that. I, I, I do love your point about um, about what he gives you as a writer, or gives you as a writer, and what he doesn't. It'd be so easy for it to say, "Hello, Mr. Holmes. I'm Joseph Harrison. I'm quite poor, you know." Big pause. You know, he's not going to do that. As in, it could be me. It is me. Um, uh, but I, I think the ending is just. Uh, it's the likeness of touch, I think. Mm -hmm. It looks like it's a big dramatic ender, but it's just beautifully done. It's so nice. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that it also involves Mrs. Hudson, who I absolutely adore. Yes, it well. does. 
and that's why when he comes in, he sort of stays downstairs for a little bit because he's making those arrangements. He's giving his instructions, yeah. He's delayed, but we're kind of like, come up the stairs, tell us what happened. And he's delayed, and we're, you know, we're all kind of with Watson and Percy at that point going, you know, and then he breakfast, and oh, yes, he hurt his hand, and it's like, wow, what happened? (laughs) And we're all, you know, we've, we've got that. You know that same impatience that that uh, Watson and Percy have. You know he's oh, it's, 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 just so, <laughs> it's just so beautiful. It's just, it's just so well done. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of his fight, is it his first fight? Sorry. I know. I'm trying to think where he's had a fight before. So he has a fight with Joseph Harrison because he hurts his hand. He fights in the solitary cyclist with what is it Woodley? Yeah, I forget his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah they... the, the ruffian. Yeah. yeah. Because oh, right. um, he says, like, only a gentleman strikes with the back of his hand or something like that, which I really like. Um, but he's not, no, again... No, he, he's nearly strangled in, um, let's see, what is the one where, uh, I can't remember which one. Oh, the right, the right gate puzzle, yeah. The, the next room and two guys jump him and nearly strangle him. He also mentions that, you know, in an earlier time, it's not in one of the stories, but that he, he his left canine was knocked out at one yeah. of the train stations Charing Cross. And, and, i heard that yesterday yeah Charing Cross. he, he f- falls into quicksand at one point he um uh uh see there's oh yeah and of course in the um um you know he's nearly killed by uh the guys in um the hell is one <sighs> right the right puzzle client, client. yes yes the, the, the right He's attacked in front of a policeman, and then when he says arrest these men, the policeman says, "On what charge?" <laughs> literally, literally just tried to kill me right there. Yeah. That was me. Yeah, and, he, and, he's, and he's choking still. He's yeah. genuinely choking at that point. Yeah, no, I think he he runs into some some physical danger a number of times. Some of it's off stage, um, but but enough times, you know. That's another thing that um, I sometimes get criticized for putting a lot of action in my books and then I I, I show a slide of all the Sydney Paget action moments and there's tons of them yeah <laughs> there are really a lot of them so you know if you if you look at if you look at the canon in the aggregate there's a ton of action in it it's just that in any given story it might happen once or maybe not at all but yeah. it doesn't feel full of action the way say the Robert Downey Jr movie does but because it's not the amount per per page <laughs> is not. I was, I, I was just going to bring up the criticism of the Robert Downey Jr. movie for being too action packed and having Holmes, uh, you know, bare knuckle fighting. But he, he was a boxer, you know. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. He was a boxer. And and also he, he was a, he is trained in the martial arts. I mean, the the um, Bartitsu was a real thing. It was yeah. a, Bartitsu, by the way, had a very short shelf life. <laughs> It was kind of like a fad that happened very, very briefly, and then it kind of went away. Um, but it was it's basically... Of the, it's, try and name the second most the famous exponent of Baritsu. No, I know one. I can't think of another. <laughs> right. Well, I know, because it, 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 it didn't really work that well. It was, it was basically judo or jujitsu combined with stick fighting, using your umbrella know, yeah. or your walking stick, so that it was supposed to be a the way a gentleman could defend himself more um, more accurately, more uh, effectively than just you know hitting somebody with your stick, uh, and you know so it had it had some okay theories to it. There's a there's a young guy in uh, in LA who who offers Bertitsu classes in the park, and quite a few people take them. <laughs> Carl, you're a martial artist, aren't you? I am a martial artist. 
Are you? For, 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 yeah, we should do. You should learn it and do a video demonstrating it. I might uh, do. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do taekwondo. Well, I do. I'm a second dan black belt in taekwondo. Wow, that's so, great. Um, yeah, but we we we're, we're different from judo. We bounce a lot, and judo is more sort of staying in the same place. Yeah. I'm going to get emails from that, so I don't mean it quite I like think that. It's using the opponent's weight against them as yeah. they magically yeah. pull them further that way, and et cetera. Yeah, we're, we're sort of more percussive kicks, and it's all yeah. about the patterns and body and waves. It's all about waves and energy and things waves, like that. Yeah, it's yeah, a, I, I know not too much. I, I did get a green belt in judo when I was a kid, but it was eons ago, and I don't remember it very well. But I just remember that it was so clever, <laughs> and and you really could, you know, you really could do escapes that yeah. don't seem logical but you could do it yeah so i, I, I could beat moriarty on the ledge i don't i don't know about homes and probably not moran throwing bricks at me at the same time that might be a bit different but um, um yeah I, I could probably what is taekwondo exactly what is what is taekwondo, taekwondo is, is um it's a it's north north and south korea um martial arts um it's quite new it was only officially founded in april 1955 and it's um the difference really is is, is we kick, we mm. kick and um, and we kick to the head as well, which Olympic Taekwondo doesn't do. Um, but it's also a lots of things about um, uh, you kick, you 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 strike and defend in a wave. You don't just go put your hand up like that. You go down, you up down, down up down is something we say all the time in Taekwondo. If you're punching, you go down, then you go up, and then you hit on the down. So it's wave energy, oh, uh, yeah. sine wave. It's called. Mm. So we do a lot on that. Where um, um, I, I think Holmes is more of a grappling man, and yeah. you know, um, thumbs, would be, thumbs in muscles. Uh, well, I mean, he uses his stick. Obviously, he's a st he's a, supposedly a, a very good stick fighter. Also, yeah. that's mentioned in the canon, and, and a boxer. So yeah, um, but but this Bartitsu is an actual combination with jujitsu. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's weird that he spelled it wrong in the canon. <laughs> Yes, he does. More than once. Yeah, yeah. You think, oh, well, strange. But, you know, that could have been some copy editor who didn't know, you know, maybe. Yeah. Two <laughs> things um, happen. But, well, yeah. that's the Naval Treaty. Yeah. We've done the Naval Treaty. Um, you're coming back to the second stain because you're the expert on the second stain. It's, it's a story <laughs> I know least, I think. Oh, I love the second stain. Um, but uh, and with Hilda Trelawney Hope. And what have you? Oh, I love her. Yeah, she's she's. Uh, I wrote a story uh, of her correcting Watson about some things he got wrong the first time, or a <laughs> version of what happened. <laughs> I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read that before we do that show. Well, I'll send it to you. All right. <laughs> that was a lot Brilliant. of fun. Anyway, it's a pleasure talking to you again, Carl. And thank you. Thank you for coming on again, and we can't wait to talk to you again for the second day. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Bonnie. Bye. I would like to thank our hosts at Rippercast, as well as producers Jonathan Mengus and John Rees. A special thank you too to Andrew Firth, who created both the graphics and the theme music. You can contact us on Twitter at Adler to Amberley. Thank you for listening. <laughs>